Our scripture reading today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, which is located in our church Bibles on page 532. Please stand if you are able as we read from the Old Testament. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Please be seated. Before we come to our study in Proverbs this morning, let's pray. Father, we uh, reflect on the news this week and what we remember in the light of the news. We remember the continuing war in Ukraine, and we pray, Lord, that it would cease. We pray for the earthquake in West Indonesia, Father, that those who are in difficulty would be, would be found by first responders and rescue services as quickly as possible. Father, we uh, acknowledge the death of Elizabeth II, and thank you for her testimony of her faith in you these many years. And Father, we remember today the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and the aftermath for many, many people of those almost 3,000 souls that were lost that day and the impact that it's had on our nation. Lord, we lift ourselves to you. And we thank you, Lord, that despite what has happened, uh, Lord, you are still at work we think of our children away, our high school children at, at uh, Mojnik this week. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and lead them up in a deeper knowledge of you. And Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the Bible this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I'll never forget when someone came up to me and asked me the puzzling question, how do you keep an idiot waiting? I'll tell you later, they said as they walked away. <laughs> if you've ever uh, felt like an idiot, the Bible has your number as it has mine. As Abraham Lincoln said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. But is that all there is for us as fallen human beings? Ignorance, foolishness, stupidity, stumbling, subjectivity, disagreement, being considered a fool? Or a 
Are we meant to learn from someone who wants to teach us? If so, what does the Bible say that God has provided? Well, it's, it's wisdom. Wisdom isn't about how much you know. It's not about how intelligent you are. It's not about how successful you've been. It really is to do with the quality of having and exercising good judgment. And the Bible, as you may know, has several books committed to teaching us wisdom. And one of those books is the book we're going to be looking at over the next few months, the book of Proverbs. This is what someone's had to say about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs asks, what is a person like to live with or to employ? How does he manage his affairs, his time, himself? This good lady, for instance, does she talk too much? That cheerful soul, is he bearable in the early morning? And this friend who is always dropping in, well, here is some advice for him and for that rather aimless lad. But it's not a portrait album or a book of manners. It offers a key to life. And wisdom, as you will see, is the opportunity to understand what it means to live well, how to live. But it's more than that. Because its real purpose is not just to get you to change, but to point you to God's real change agent. So Proverbs, and you'll see this this morning in chapter 8, leads you to the character, to the mind, and to the person of Jesus Christ. He will change you as you engage with his wisdom given for you here. So as I said, in the months before Christmas, we're going to be looking at wisdom given to us through the book of Proverbs. This is part of the larger arc that we've been following this year in looking at the gospel through the lens of God's law. And we're going to begin this morning with an introduction. You would expect us to introduce Proverbs by going to uh, chapter 1. Well, perversely, we're going to chapter 8, and I hope to show you why. It's a portion of which Jeff has read for us from these first 11 verses, but it will be helpful if you have the whole of the chapter open, So you can find it on page 532 in your church Bible. So four parts to this and four questions which I will attempt to work through as quickly as I can. First of all, these first five verses, who is wisdom for? Who is wisdom for? Now this is a really important question. Is it for us? Is it for us today? Or have we left it behind as simply a kind of uh, antiquated idea, a pre-technological habit? After all, we, we have so much today, we are surely tempted to believe that we don't need wisdom. We have vast amounts of information at our fingertips. We have more access, if you think about it, to more knowledge than any generation or any individual or any power preceding us. We have the capacity to do so many things that were really only the projects of the imagination before us. And yet, isn't this also true of us that we have been seduced by our own pride and technical capacity? Our technological grasp, if you will, has far outgrown our moral reach. So it's not unusual for us to say, what do we do in this situation? We can do this. We can do it is the boast of our generation. But should you do it, comes the question back from the book of Proverbs. Is it 
wise. Proverbs doesn't begin, notice, by asking these questions at a global scale, but, but really at the scale of what mischief a young man with more money than sense might get up to in a big city when let loose. So this comes within the context. It comes within the context of chapter 7. We see there a father who won't be able to control what his son does perhaps the next day when he sends him off to the city. He can't control You can't control what your children might do with their future. But he can and you can offer them wisdom. And for that boy that we read about, like so many other young men, drawn, as it were, to disaster like moths to a flame, you can almost hear him asking on the day, but Dad, what am I going to do when temptation turns up? What's going to save me out there? Am I just supposed to remember your advice when it comes up and it's striking what his father tells him he says essentially no there's someone else waiting for you out there someone who will help you wisdom is there for you so take a look at these verses one and three does not wisdom call she says of herself does not understanding raise her voice And where does she do so? Well, beside the gates. And where are the gates? Well, at the entrance of the portals. And what are the portals? Well, they're the doorways. That's where she cries aloud. And what are the doorways? Well, they're the doorways into which disaster beckons. The very point of temptation, right there. So I think this is the first encouragement here. Even when this feather-brained boy is lured like a fly towards the spider's web, Right there, wisdom is waiting for him, if he will but heed her. If you've ever been tempted, and if you've ever known your own frailty, that should be an encouragement to you, that God means, even at the very last moment, to give you a resource to save you. So wisdom, we should remember, as we come to this text, isn't a goddess or a god, not an actual living being, no depiction of deity, but a kind of personal stand-in in in Scripture for someone who is and who through wisdom can do you great good. So that's the picture here of wisdom. Remember the promise, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he or she should go, even when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. And I think this is what I want to lay out, which is there already in this letter, sorry, in this book of Proverbs. It's a staggering thought that at the turning point in someone's life, someone for whom you bear responsibility, on the brink of a disastrous decision that they may one day make, it's your words that may come back to them. And Lord willing, at that moment, they will remember the gospel that you've invested in them, in their small minds or in the teachable moment that you have. Teaching, as you may know, and teaching children in particular, isn't just a matter of imparting information. It's investing instead in a future life. And of course, knowledge is involved in that. You can't give wisdom without going to the Bible. But in teaching, you may be saving a life that's to come at a particular moment. And with that in mind, I... It's appropriate, isn't it, as we go back to school to thank teachers, perhaps the most underappreciated profession, 
and in our own congregation to thank those who are teaching, particularly teaching our children. I'm going to use this as a shameless opportunity for an advertisement, an opportunity we want, and we're still looking for one helper on Wednesday night for Cat Club. I want you to remember this because all of those times that you spend teaching your children are investing in them for such a moment as this. So if that describes you and your availability, I'll leave it to your soul to discuss with yourself whether that's true. See Jenny Ray or tell someone at the Welcome Center if you can help, because that's what we need. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that with temptation, God will also provide the way of escape. For children, for us as adults, for the person who considers themselves wise and for the person who knows that they're a fool. Wisdom is the fire escape when the fire comes. Wisdom, notice here, is placed right beside the doorway to disaster. Verse 4, my cry is to the children of man, learn, learn. So I want to say to you this morning, whether you believe there's a God or not, this is God's gift to you. Wisdom is for everyone. By God's common grace, it's for you. Second, what does wisdom say? Verses 6 through 11. I heard a story about Elizabeth II this week given by one of her former security detail. He said that one time he was hiking in Scotland. They were going on a picnic, he and the Queen, as odd as that might sound. And they were walking when they came across a couple of tourists coming in the opposite direction. And they got into a conversation with them, and uh, one of the tourists said, well, where do you live? And the Queen said, I have a house in London, I have a holiday home over the hill. And they said, well, how long have you been coming here? She said, I've been here perhaps 80 years since I started coming as a little girl. Well, they said, if you've been coming here 80 years, you must have met the Queen. And she responded, well, I haven't, but he has, she said, <laughs> gesturing to her security officer. And at that point, one of the tourists puts his arm immediately around the bodyguard's shoulders, hands his camera to the Queen and says, would you take our picture? She obliges, they then went happily on their way with stories of how they met someone who knew the Queen of England. So wisdom is a bit like the Queen in that situation. She can be right in front of you with her striking pink hat, if you ever saw her, and still you can overlook her. Wisdom isn't always recognizable. Wisdom doesn't say, here I am. But wisdom is available to those who will listen to her. And that's the point, isn't it, of this personification of wisdom as a single woman in these chapters. There's only one wisdom here, you'll notice, one universal truth of which she speaks. I will speak, verse 6, she says, I, wisdom, verse 12, my lips, my mouth, my instruction, verses 6 through 10. People take it for granted nowadays that there's no such thing as a universal truth. You know, 50 years ago, that would not have been the case, but now it is. That's the view. You have your truth, I have mine. You dwell within your bubble of a universe, and I dwell in mine. Nonsense. Nonsense, says wisdom. I like how one poet put it, nothing is true 
No, not even this. And what does wisdom say? Well, it's not just information, is it? Verse 6. I will speak noble things. From my lips comes what is right. My words are not twisted or crooked, but righteous. Verse 8. Wisdom speaks noble things to us, which means as we take those things on board, they are ennobling us. In fact, the word in the original language means princely things, fit, things fit for a queen, true things, righteous things, things that befit the creation order to which we were made, things which are part of the dignity in which we were created to be human, to be our best version of ourselves. Do you know those verses in Philippians 4? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, those are all descriptions of what we are meant to be as human beings. Think about those things. That's what wisdom is offering you. It's remarkable to me. I think about this quite frequently, that the freedom I'm so often reminded that I have, that you have, so quickly is taken by me as the freedom to go to what is dark and horrible and corrupting. I think of evenings when I've pondered, should I read Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen or watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which unfortunately is a real thing which I have wasted my time watching. But wisdom says of herself, at such moments, what you desire, right, what you are inclined to watch or to read or to invest your time in has nothing compared to what I can give you, verse 11. So make the choice. Remember this. Make the choice to listen to me, to invest in me, to take in what I have for you. That's what wisdom says. Thirdly, what does wisdom offer, verses 12 through 21? Well, verse 12 has been described in a wonderful way as wisdom with her three sisters. For those who seek wisdom and learn over time to love her, to sacrifice for her, to believe in her, to go her way, she brings three friends along with her. I think this is the testimony, isn't it, of a life like Elizabeth II's. A sinner, she would have told you, saved by grace, yes, but a life that in the eyes of others has borne a fruit of prudence and of knowledge and of discretion. It's striking that wisdom is presented as having things that we need and yet do not have. Do you notice this? Verse 14, what does wisdom say of herself? I have counsel. I have insight. I have strength. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me. The fruit I produce, verse 19, is better than gold. And I, verse 21, will grant you. It's in my power to grant you an inheritance which will fill your treasury. In other words, wisdom has something that you and I cannot buy, cannot earn, cannot get by any other means than from her hand. I don't think that's metaphor. I think that's a reality of the promise of what Scripture is telling us. The things that we think we can get by shortcut or by qualification or by degree or by hook or by crook, we cannot get what is most valuable unless we invest in wisdom. When I was a kid, um, I was going to put a 
comic up here so you can see this. My, my life was changed by the, not the Bible at first, I have to say, but by, but by a comic book, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. Daredevil is the story of someone who, was, when he was a teen, makes the deliberate decision to spend with time with his books and not going out and playing with the other kids. It's uh, really the uh, story of another nerd superhero. But it struck me, and I remember this as a young boy reading this, that there was wisdom for me here. There was an example for me to follow. So the story of the superhero of Daredevil is that he does it for his dad. But I did it for my grandparents. I would, was determined to learn from them. And in a sense, to leapfrog uh, my friends in the race of life by learning from those who had experienced life already and taking on board their wisdom. This is the value, isn't it, of a multi-generational church. This is the value that we have by being in conversation with those who are older, who have gone before us in the things of life, of devoting ourselves to, to the wisdom that they might have for us. What's the beginning of wisdom? Well, Proverbs 1 tells us it's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Really loving and respecting real authority, recognizing a wisdom and a learning and an experience that's been given to others that we can ourselves take on board, submitting to an authority that we read about in the Bible that loves us and means us well but needs us to trust that authority. All of that is the process of wisdom. And in verse 13, we're told it has a byproduct. The fear of the Lord at work in you will, over time, produce in you what nothing and no one else could, something that is entirely not your inclination, nor mine, and that is a hatred of evil. It's interesting. I think we, we tend to divide the world, don't we, by inclination into good people and bad people. The Bible tells us that's not true. We, all of us, by inclination and nature, turn away from righteousness, turn away from what is good. It needs to be learned. Wisdom will teach us this hatred of evil. The basic lesson here is that we haven't got what we need. We need to find it. We need to receive it. We need to invest in it, both for us and for our children. We need to get what we haven't got from someone who has it and is offering it to us. So Proverbs 3, verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Why not? Well, because we're not wise. So if wisdom saves a life, it will do so because that life realizes it cannot save itself. So I want to say to you, the starting point for some of us this morning will be to go home and take stock of what we need in our situation and to realize crucially that we haven't got the resources that we need. It's the poor and powerless, not the proud and the proficient, that God comes close to. You know, our inclination is to be so independent. That's what pride and sin works in us. So that we can say, even from when we're quite small, I did it. I have done this. Look at what I have done. I don't need anyone else. But the process of wisdom in humility tells us, reminds us, you do need someone else. 
and you need to learn wisdom from him. Wisdom offers you something richer and more powerful than broken self-effort. So verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek ye diligently will find me. And finally, who is wisdom revealed to be? Verses 22 through 36. This is the origin story of wisdom. It reveals whose mind it is that she really expresses. Look at verse 22 and then verses 29c through 31. I'm going to read them to you. Wisdom speaking of herself says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him. Like a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. What do these verses tell us? Well, they tell us, again, that wisdom is, is not an actual person as such, nor is she something apart or separated from God. But perhaps rather like Uncle Sam or the American Eagle, she is a personification of something inherently and intimately personal to God. After all, we're told, verse 22, that God did not create wisdom, but that he possessed her already. He established her, verse 23, he brought her forth at the point of creation. If we say nothing else about wisdom, as someone has pointed out, if we must do nothing without wisdom, the reason is because God himself has done nothing without her. But I think we can venture a more definite conclusion than that as we close and come to communion this morning. These verses, as powerful and as metaphorical as they are, bear a close resemblance, you may have noticed, to another chapter of Scripture, to Colossians chapter 1. It's there in verses 15 through 17 that we're introduced to the wisdom of God again, except this time wisdom has a name. And this time wisdom has a face and an intelligence. And wisdom has a pedigree and a work and a record. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is revealed there to be the firstborn of creation. It is Jesus who there is shown to be the person by whom all things were created. It is Jesus who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. There's no need for us, I think, to push this in Proverbs 8 to say that wisdom is just simply another name for Jesus. That's not true. That's overstating things. But we can say that Jesus is reflected in the wisdom of creation. It is his that is the first place there. It is wisdom that has his mind. It is wisdom that bears his face on creation. So finally, in verse 30, and I think this is the crowning moment, there's this revealing phrase, if you noticed it, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. And I venture to say that that him is the person of Christ. But whoever that's, describing and reading John 17 as I think we have some guesses this is what's important about wisdom this is what's important about the heart and the mind of God right there waiting for you at the point of temptation at the point of all that the darkness of sin offers you is a promise of something better 
which if you believe and trust in him at that moment, is his joy. This is the picture of God. Not a manager, not a bureaucrat, not a deistic far-off God of cold calculation, but a God of infinite delight and joy and praise and fellowship and gratitude who beckons you into that joy. That's what it means to encounter the mind and the wisdom of God. I'll leave you with this story. Two weeks ago, you may have read this story in the New York Times. It was a story of four people who were struck by lightning outside the White House on August the 4th. I don't know if you read this. Three of them were immediately killed. It was totally tragic. But one of them survived. A woman called Amber who told her story to the New York Times. By the grace of God, she lived and then after 11 minutes her heart gave out and she died. She was revived again but with awful pain down the left side of her body and still uh, terrible nerve damage. And though she has that nerve damage and though she lives with the burns down the side, left-hand side of her body, she said this is what keeps her going at moments when she is tempted to give up and to think only of death when the pain gets most intense. She says she remembers her aunt who has told her this, and I wonder if her aunt doesn't know Jesus, because she cries out at the top of her voice when the pain is worst, I am grateful, I am grateful. And as we come to communion, as we come to the mind and heart of someone who has told us he loves us, that he is the one who gives us our value, that he himself has given himself for us, that our dignity and value might be known in him, that his mind might be given to us, that we might know him. He has meant for us to be his friends and to enter into his joy. So that's what you're being invited to know in the wisdom of God. That's what you're being offered, which is better than all of the false hopes and false promises that sin can offer. This is the joy of the gift of Jesus Christ given gladly for you. What is wise given that gift? Well, what's wise is to receive it and to live then in the good of it this day and all the days going forward. God's wisdom for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Bible. It is your earnest communication to us in terms that we can understand as your spirit opens our eyes to the truth of it. We can see right there at the door of temptation as wisdom is calling out to us. She's not simply calling to us what might be pragmatically better for us or what might be uh, materially safer. She is calling us to real joy and delight in the knowledge and the security of knowing Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that at the cross you have given us that opportunity, each of us, as we're called by you to walk through the right door and to know you and to be kept by you in the safety of knowing you. So this morning, Lord, we pray for ourselves and for our children that you would guide us each day to a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
We ask this in his name. Amen.